thank you guys for uh, worshiping with us this morning. Let's keep talking about Peter this morning as we are still um, looking at some different significant events in the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, I've mapped out and planned for this to be a six-week uh, series, and but the more the more I even go back into the scriptures myself and study, the more I realize we could never, ever, ever grasp Peter as a character in scripture in six weeks. There's just too many, there are too many things uh, about him, too many uh, stories, encounters. There's, there's so much about him in scripture. But um, in, in, in this series, we've looked at a couple of, of important parts. We've seen uh, Peter have um, his really first, one of his first big encounters with Jesus on the boat when Jesus takes him out into the water and there's the miraculous catch of fish. And in that we see G Peter respond to Jesus with such passion that he leaves everything. He leaves his profession. He leaves the boat. He leaves the fish. He leaves everything, his living, to follow Jesus in his ministry. And so from that day on, Peter was side by side with Jesus as they walked together. And, um, and then last week we saw the story of them uh, in the boat alone and Jesus comes to them on the water in the middle of a storm. And, and Peter is the only one that's not content enough to stay in the boat and just wait for Jesus to get to him. He wants so passionately to get to where Jesus is and he calls out, and, and says, Lord, let me come to you. And Jesus tells him to come. And so Jesus makes a way for Peter to walk on that water, that raging water like it was a hardwood floor, just to get to him. And um, these are two pretty miraculous moments in the relationship between Jesus and Peter. In significant times and, and significant miracles. And as we keep talking about um, Peter and looking at his life, each of these miracles and wonder, and these are not the only ones that Peter has experienced with Jesus. There's been lots of others that, that, we, we, that we won't talk about in this series, but with each experience of these miracles and, and as Peter experiences the wonder of who Jesus is, um, Jesus, I believe, is using all of these things to point Peter and all the other disciples and to everyone who saw Jesus' public ministry. He's using all these things to point Peter into making a decision. He's leading Peter into coming up with a, a conclusion for who Jesus really is. He's, he's, Jesus is showing bits of his glory to Peter, and, and Peter is responding to those. And the more he sees, the more Jesus is eventually calling Peter not just to be a part, not just to watch what I'm doing, but to make, um, come to a conclusion of who Jesus really is. And God calls all of us to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. What, what will our final answer about Jesus be? I think we're going to see uh, this morning everyone will be called on to give a final answer 
about who Jesus is for you. And so I want you to even think about this morning before we even get started. Have you done that? Even before we look at Peter's story, do you feel like you've come to a final conclusion that doesn't need any more, any more thinking when it comes to who Jesus is? We're going to be in Matthew 16 this morning. Another very important conversation that Jesus had with his disciples uh, that Peter sort of stands out in. And this is a, a pivotal moment, not just, not just in the Gospels, but in the life of Peter and the life of the, the disciples. So let's begin in Matthew 16 and look at verses 13 and 14 to start. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Caesarea Philippi is in the northernmost part of what the Jews considered to be the promised land. It's, the Jews would say if you were going north and still staying within what they considered to be their land... When you got to Caesarea Philippi, you're like at the, at the, the northernmost border of it. Um, it's about 130 miles north of Jerusalem, which if somebody were wanting to travel to Jerusalem to that point, that's 130 miles, 20 to 25 miles a day is about what people travel. So you're looking at a five to six day journey to go from, from Jerusalem up to um, Caesarea Philippi. And so that was a far distance from the, the center of, of so much of what Jesus and the disciples were encountering in ministry. This is where, uh, this is where most of the um, interactions that they had with, with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. I, th- I think that maybe some, some commentators would think that, that maybe Jesus was taking them far away to kind of retreat from the pressure that they were under on a regular basis and the pressure that Jesus was under on a regular basis. He, he, was, he was removing them from, from so much of the, just the day-to-day confrontations that they had and he, and he gets them far away. It would it almost like sort of like a retreat and a rest from the pressure. Um, but what was interesting is Caesarea Philippi was also... A, a place known for its sin, its idolatry, hedonism. So it would be almost like uh, maybe if I were to say, hey, we're going to take all the deacons and we're going to go on a spiritual retreat and we're going to go to Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> really far away, but let's go to like close to one of the most sinful places we can think of. And, and that's kind of where, where they are at this point. Uh, but Jesus, as they're, as they're traveling... When they get close to that, it says when they came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked them this question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Real simple question. Um, What's everybody saying about me? When you hear people in the crowds talk about who I am and what I've come to do, what are they saying? So why would Jesus ask that? If we want to know what people are saying about us, it's because we don't know, right? Like, sometimes aren't you curious to know what are people saying about me? 
Um, but it's because we don't know and we wish we did. Jesus wasn't asking because he didn't know what people were saying. He was fully aware of that. He was asking them because he wanted them to consider what everybody else was saying. He wanted them to think about what conclusions are all the other people around us making about who I am. And so they begin to answer the question. They don't know really the context of where he's going with it. But with this question, all he's asking at this point is, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing when people talk about me? And so they give, Matthew tells us that they give four, four answers, or they, they mention four specific things in their answers. They say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, was, uh, he, he made it clear that his, his ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah that was to come. He was the forerunner for the Messiah. And Jesus, the, the, the power of Jesus' ministry um, to a lot of people was very similar to the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had died and been killed. And so now um, they believe that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life to make way for the Messiah that was to come. Uh, they mentioned Elijah. Elijah would have been um, like first string top tier of all the Old Testament prophets as far as um, what the people would have regarded uh, him as. Um, and, and Elijah never died, did he? So that makes sense that they might think that he was Elijah. He never died. Scripture says that he was carried into heaven uh, in a chariot of fire. And actually, if you look in the book of Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5, there's a prophecy in Malachi that says before the coming of the day of the Lord, the final coming of Jesus, or of God, there will be um, that the prophet Elijah will come back. And so there was a prophecy for that that they had read and knew. So there was a little, there was some context there in the Old Testament. They, they had an expectation of Elijah, seeing Elijah return. And so they, some people were associating that with Jesus, thinking that's who he is. Uh, Jeremiah would have been another, one of the most revered of the prophets. Um, and there's actually some extra biblical um, sources that will tell us that many people believed that Jeremiah, when the Babylonians began to take over, that Jeremiah would have taken the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense and hidden it away. And, and it, it was believed that, that Jeremiah was the one who, who hid it and, and took, to protect it from, from being destroyed and uh, from the... Uh, Babylonians, and many people believe that Jeremiah would return to retrieve the ark and the altar of incense and, and put it back into the temple uh, where it was originally um, placed. And so there, there was that idea that, that maybe Jesus was Jeremiah returning because Jesus talked about restoring the temple and things like that. And then it says, or the other prophets, or one of the prophets. There were some people who just knew there was something different about Jesus, knew he was special. They didn't really know, they didn't have a specific idea which one he was. And probably for a lot of people, it didn't matter that much. They just thought, oh, he's one of the prophets. Come back to life. We can see how in the context of history, they, all of those would have been reasonable explanations in the minds of people but only in the minds of people who didn't really know who Jesus was and there's one thing that all of those 
things have in common, none of them are the Messiah. None of them. All of them were people who came before the Messiah, who were forerunners of the Messiah. So what, what they were revealing to Jesus basically is Jesus, everything that we hear people talking about you, they're basically calling you everything except the Messiah. I always find it kind of strange when, when we read that text that you would expect somebody to pipe up in verse 14 and say, well, some people say you're the Messiah. But you notice not, none of them say that in verse 14. Nobody mentions that Jesus is who he really is, but there are all these false ideas of who he is. And so here's a point for this morning. Like Peter and the disciples, we live in a world full of wrong conclusions about Jesus. I mean, one of the things we have in common with Peter is we live in a world where everybody is trying to come up with their own idea and explanation for who Jesus is and what he came to do, and most of them are wrong. People nowadays would regard Jesus very highly. I don't, um, some people, um, because Jesus is so, um, he's offensive to some people, and the, and the cross is offensive to people. But for the most part, especially in the Bible Belt where we live in, most people like Jesus. They don't have a problem with Jesus. He's highly regarded. People speak highly of him. They don't, want to, they don't disrespect Jesus. They know that Jesus has a unique power in the world, and they've, and they've even seen that before. And it seems that all of the people, when the disciples said, these are all the things people are saying about you, it was like, People were coming as close to the truth about Jesus as they could. But they were never really embracing and accepting the truth for who, of who he really was. They were coming really close to it. But they didn't believe he was actually the Messiah. They thought, well, he's close to the Messiah. He's, he's coming before the Messiah, but the Messiah hasn't come yet. And he was right there. They just didn't see it. And so when we're living our lives and we're listening to people talk about Jesus, we have to, we have to understand that every worldview, every view that the world comes up with of who Jesus is, is always going to fall short. Any, any human idea, worldly idea of who Jesus is, is always going to fall short. So this is, what, this, this is what was happening. They say, well, Jesus, they say you're this, they say you're this, they say you're this. Basically, they say you're everything except who Jesus knew himself to be. But then look at verse 15. After they talk a little bit about everybody else, he brings the question home to them. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now he says to them, who do you say that I am? These guys have been with Jesus for at least two years now, going on two and a half years. They had been living with him day after day after day. They had seen firsthand 
all of the words that he had that he had spoken, all of his sermons. They had they had seen him do miracles. They had seen his his compassion, his love. They had seen him uh, exhibit his power in 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 the closest proximity that anybody else could have. And you would think it would be real easy for them. But they also, I think what Jesus knew was also in the back of all their minds and probably even Peter's mind, there was some doubt because they, they knew what they saw but then they also knew what they believed he was supposed to be. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to be. They had been taught their entire life what the Messiah was supposed to be. And now here's Jesus who has this unique power about him that is, that is unexplainable any other way than he has to be the son of God. But yet, he doesn't fit into the picture of Messiah that they've had their entire life. They had expectations for what he would be. They would still have expectations, but... Even, even as they followed him and even as they watched him do what he did, I think they still wondered. I mean, Jesus had incredible power and Messiah was supposed to come and use his power to conquer his enemies, to conquer the enemies of the Jews, the Romans, but Jesus wasn't doing that. Here he has this incredible power, but he's not using it the way he's supposed to, they're thinking. I mean, even John the Baptist in Matthew 11, we know that John the Baptist came and he preached and he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. He called him the Lamb of God. He, he directed Andrew, Peter's brother, to Jesus and said, hey, he is the Messiah. And Andrew goes and he goes, you remember Andrew went to Peter at the beginning and said, hey, I think we found the Messiah. I think we found him. I think this is it. So John the Baptist, you would think, would, would have been fully convinced. But in Matthew 11... When John the Baptist is in prison, we'll read how he actually sends some of his followers, John the Baptist does, to Jesus with a question. And the question is, Jesus, are you really the one that we have been waiting for or should we be looking for somebody else? I mean, John the Baptist even asked that question. He saw, he, he, so much of him believed that Jesus really was the Messiah, but there was this thing in the back of, back of his mind that he's thinking, wow, even for John the Baptist, he's not the Messiah that John was expecting. And so he has to send word to say, Jesus, are, are you really, are you really the one? Are you really who we think you are? Because if you're not, just tell us if we need to be looking for somebody else. Sometimes the disciples showed such great faith, especially after Jesus did something incredible. They were just drawn, right? They were just drawn to him and they worshiped. Like even in the boat last week, after he calmed the storm, it said that all of them worshiped him in the boat. Like there were moments of great faith and, and he used them to do great things. And then there were other moments that it was as if they didn't even know who he was. They were so confused. And I think some of us may feel that way sometimes. I think there are people in churches everywhere who, who feel that way often. That they see the work of Jesus in other people. 
They've experienced the power of Jesus. They even come and sing songs and worship Jesus. But there's still a question in the back of their minds. And this is why. The next point. Jesus will never fit into the expectation you have for him. So many people come to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. But in a Jesus that fits into what they think Jesus is supposed to be. And let me tell you something. He will always be more than you think he's supposed to be. Anything that you think Jesus is supposed to be, he's always going to be more. It just doesn't matter. His goodness, his grace, his love, it's always going to be more. His justice is always going to be more. Uh, his wrath on sin, whatever you think, it's always going to be more. Like everything about him, whatever we do to try to put him in our expectation of who he is, he's always going to overflow that. And that's what these guys were experiencing. They had their picture that from, from youth they had been taught, this is what Messiah looks like. Oh, Jesus says he's a Messiah. Great, he's going to be this kind of Messiah. Well, wait a minute. He doesn't fit. He's spilling over the edges all the time. He's doing things that he's not supposed to do, and he's not doing things that they think he's supposed to do. But it's so obvious that he's from God. Like, there's no denying that. But I think in their minds, they're so desperately trying to believe in Jesus but in a way that fits into their expectation of him and I'm just afraid that there are people all over the place who say they believe in Jesus but the Jesus they believe in is the Jesus that fits in their expectations and if that's the Jesus you're putting your faith in that Jesus is too small So that's what he's asking them. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? What do you think? And Peter, who is the leader, and he's usually the leader, and he's kind of been made the leader by the group because he's the one that will speak up first. Most all the time. He's the one that's going to speak up, and he'll speak for himself, and often he speaks for the whole group. So at this question, immediately Peter pipes up and says, You are... The Christ, the son of the living God. What Peter is saying is, Jesus, we've told you what everybody else says about you. But if you're asking me, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. When he calls him the Christ, he's calling him the Messiah. You are the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. You are the anointed one. You're the coming high priest. You are the king. You are the savior. You are all of those things. You are the one that's been prophesied for, for years and years of, that we have waited on. You are that person. Peter's confession in this moment is huge because in this moment, Peter, at this question, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's calling all of them and Peter to say, I want you to make a... You have been with me for two, two and a half years. What is your conclusion about me? Who do you really think I am? You've, you've seen everything that everybody else has seen. You've been a part of it. Who, like, what's your final answer? 
And when Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, Peter is saying, um, you know what, I've had my doubts before. I've been struggling to try to figure out exactly who you are. I thought I knew who you were, but who you really are is not fitting into my box. And so when Peter says this, he's basically throwing his box out the window and saying, Jesus, I don't, I, I, I'm not worried about you fitting in my box anymore. I can't try to make you into the Messiah that I want you to be. You just are who you are. And that was huge. That was such a, a huge confession. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. This for us is the moment of salvation for us. You say, what is it? What decision do I have to make to really know that I'm in Christ? You have to answer this question and I have to answer this question the same way Peter did. Jesus, I don't, I'm not believing in a version of you that fits into my expectations and what I want you to be. I'm just believing you are who you say you are regardless of what I want you to be. And I'm afraid that too many people have, have, have walked an aisle and prayed a prayer one day and the Jesus that they've asked into their heart is the little Jesus that fits in their box. And that's not Jesus. When we come and confess, you are the Christ, the son of the living God like Peter, we're saying, I don't have any boundaries for you. I don't have any expectations. There's not any rules that if I invite you into my life, this is the kind of savior I want you to be for me. This is the kind of God I want you to be. You just are who you are, and I'm throwing everything that I have into that truth. That's what Peter was saying. And that's what we have to say to experience real salvation. Here's another thing. Peter's pursuit of Jesus ended and began with his answer to Jesus' question. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Here's here's what I'm saying. Uh, John MacArthur said this about this moment for the disciples. They would still experience times of weakness and confusion about what Jesus said and did, but they would no longer doubt who it was who said and did them. Okay? So there's a difference. It's not that after this point, they didn't struggle with who Jesus was anymore. If you're a believer, you're lying if you say, ever since I became a believer, I don't have any more questions about Jesus. Everything makes sense. No. Sometimes Jesus becomes even more confusing (laughs) after you put your faith in him. It's not, that, it's not that what he says and what he does is easy, but from this point forward, Peter and the others didn't have to wonder who he was. They were confessing, we know who you are. And so there's a point where our trying to understand who Jesus is and how he fits in our box, that journey ends at this moment. And then a whole new one begins. A new walk to let who he is make us who we are. 
See, sometimes what happens is we begin our pursuit of Jesus and it's all about us trying to make Jesus into who we want him to be. There's a point when that journey is over and it ends and we're like, that's no good anymore. I'm going to start a new one and I'm going to start letting who Jesus really is make me into who he wants me to be. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Whew. We just can't make him into whatever we want him to be. And so this is a huge moment for Peter. He comes to this realization in the others. I can't make you who I want you to be, so I'm, I'm, I'm throwing all that away, and I'm just going, I'm putting everything in who, who you really are, Jesus. No more, no more boundaries, no more me trying to figure out how you can be the Messiah that I thought you were going to be and still do what you do. I'm just going to let you be you and trust you and follow you. You're the Christ. You're not, you're not my version of you. You're not my version of the Messiah. You're just who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then Jesus clarifies something for Peter that's real important. He, he, he commends Peter and he says, blessed are you. And he calls him Simon again, Simon Barjona. And he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter hits this like pinnacle moment like, like the light bulb goes off and he's finally figured it out. But then Jesus answers him in a way that I feel like Jesus answers me a lot and maybe you feel this way too, is you know what, Eric, that's really good. You've got the right answer, but you know what? It's not because you came up with it because you're not that smart. <laughs> if I ever say anything up here that you hear and go, Wow, that's really good. It's not because I'm that smart, y'all, because I'm not. But if you, if you experience a truth about who Jesus is, it's, flesh and blood doesn't tell you that stuff. God does. And, and, and Jesus is telling Peter in this moment, Peter, your eyes are opening now. You're finally beginning to see me for who I really am. And even though our journey and our relationship together and everything that you've seen has kind of led you to this point, but that, those words that just came out of your mouth could never have come out of your mouth all by yourself. You needed the Father to convince you of that. Everything that you've seen, everything that you've touched, everything that you've heard, all of it, as great as it is, was not enough to move Peter into that moment of confession and faith by itself. He needed, he said, the Father, the Father showed you that. The Father gave you that. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul talks about this a little bit in chapter 2. And he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We, in our human understanding, even as wide open as we are of who Jesus is and we read the Bible and we believe that it's true and all that we experience and we're wide open to Jesus, all of our own human, that flesh and blood, what other people tell us, what we experience on our own is not enough by itself, to bring us into that moment of faith 
and confession. There's, there's another aspect to it. Do you even notice why, you know, I, I told you about how sometimes Jesus would call Peter, Peter, when he was like, you know, doing really good or, or uh, you know, had understood something or then sometimes Jesus would call him by his old name. You would kind of expect Jesus to call him Peter here, right? Because it's like Peter has a breakthrough. Like, this is awesome. You want to kind of pat Peter on the back and, and be like, yes, Peter, you finally got it. I think Jesus called him Simon again to, to remind him of how inadequate he was by himself. That, that whatever conclusion you come to by yourself, Peter, is as great as it is, it's still not enough because you're, you're not able to bring about that kind of faith in yourself. You need, you needed my father. You needed the spirit to do that. John, uh, Jesus talked about um, this in John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Jesus says something here. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by what? Flesh and blood? Mm -mm. Taught by who? God. Everyone who has heard and learned from who? The Father. Not Not from people, not from preachers, not from Sunday school teachers. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so some people people would say, oh, well, then it doesn't matter if we tell people about Jesus or not. If Jesus just, if nobody can come to God except when, if if, if, believe in Jesus unless God draws them to him, then why do we tell them about Jesus? We tell them about about Jesus to bring them to that point where where the Holy Spirit can give them that faith like Peter wouldn't have never even gotten to this point for for the father to be able to give him the faith to be able to confess that had he not experienced all that he had experienced with Jesus already and so that's part of that's the reason that we're commissioned to tell people about what what has happened in our life how Jesus has transformed us how the father's given us faith to believe that he really is the son of God even though we put all the pieces together and we were we were as close as we could get but then you and you guys who are believers you know exactly what I'm talking about the rationale and the and the understanding you had all of that together but there was something different about the moment that the holy spirit drew you to salvation like you had your mind made up intellectually probably way before that. But there was a moment when the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And the Father drew you into that relationship with Jesus. And until that happens, we're operating on just this intellectual understanding of, of who Jesus is. We're still trying to, to, to worship and serve a Jesus that we can comprehend. We can, we can get as, as close to belief as we can. We can lead other people as close to belief as we can. But we can't give them faith. 
I can't give you faith. I can tell you about Jesus. I can preach the gospel to you. I can explain salvation to you every day, every day, every day, every day. But I can't birth faith in you to believe in Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Father's job. He does that. And so he does that in Peter's life here. And I believe he does it in the lives of the other disciples as well. But this moment for Peter was the end of, a, end of one pursuit. It was the end of that pursuit of trying to make Jesus the, the, the Savior that I want him to be. And it was the beginning of following the Savior that he really was, allowing Jesus to make him who Jesus wanted him to be. And so, real simple question, have you, has that happened to you? Do you remember coming to the point where you, you came to an end in that pursuit of trying to make Jesus fit your idea of who he was supposed to be? Because that's what we surrender when we surrender to Jesus. We surrender our lives. We surrender our, our, our hope. We give it all to him. We, we, we quit relying on ourselves. But the Jesus, we, the Jesus that we put our faith in that, that brings us into a real transformation is the Jesus that we have no strings attached to and the Jesus that, we, that doesn't fit into our box. So the same way Jesus was trying to lead Peter and the others to a conclusion, God is trying to lead you and I to a conclusion. And it's the question I asked you at the very beginning. Have you come to a final conclusion as to who Jesus is? Have you believed and confessed the Jesus that Peter did here? Or are you realizing maybe today for the first time the Jesus that you've confessed your entire life, the Jesus that you've been trying to follow your whole life has been a smaller version of Jesus that you had to change to make fit into your idea of what he was supposed to be. Because that's not Jesus. I'm afraid too many people make Jesus really small and we carry Jesus around in our pocket, right? Richard Ross talks about how we have a Jesus in our pocket and we carry him around with us and he's, and he's in our heart and, we, and, and whenever we need him, we can pull him out and when we have problems, when our money situation is bad or our marriage relationship is bad or things are going wrong, we can pull Jesus out and we can ask him to fix our problems and, and when he poofs our problems away, we can sing songs to him and praise him and tell him how great he is and then we can put him back in our pocket and leave him there until we need him again. That's a really little Jesus. Have you surrendered all your ideas about Jesus to Jesus? 